have your Bible, want to encourage you to turn. Uh, we're going to start in the book of John, and then we're going to go to Psalms 46. So if you want to get to Psalms 46, we'll get there in just a minute. Great to see you. Just want to give you an update. Uh, last week we had a young man I mentioned come through. He was from Texas on his way to Wisconsin, and somehow, miraculously, he came through Villa Ridge. I'm not sure how that works, but he spent the night up on our parking lot last Saturday. He came to the 8 o'clock service, and uh, he was sharing that he believed God was calling him to be a missionary pilot. And so we had two uh, connections for him. We gave him the name of a couple guys. And so he texted me back this week and just said to thank everyone and to let him know that he's enrolled in Moody. He's going to start tomorrow. So he'll be starting tomorrow. So anyway, appreciate that. And so anyway, we appreciate everybody. We appreciate uh, your support and just wanted to pass that on. His name was Ben Sawyer, in case you think of him and want to remember him. And so again, the Bible gives a strong emphasis on knowing God. It's not just staying busy. It's not just a lot of religious activity. But more than anything else, God wants us to know him on an intimate basis. That really is so vitally important. Next week, we're going to begin a series on the different names of God. And one of the ways we get to know God is through looking at his names, because every name gives us some aspect of who God is. And so we're going to kind of take that journey with the idea of getting to know God in a deeper way, all right? And so last week we talked about, again, the difference between knowing someone and knowing about somebody. We know about a lot of people. Uh, Abraham Lincoln over here on the right, who died in 1865, I think I'm safe to say no one actually knew him on a personal basis, but everything we know about him is what we've read about him. And depending on uh, what you read, you know, what we read can affect what we believe about somebody. But again, we can never, ever know Abraham Lincoln, but we can know about him as we read history. This guy on the left over here, Stan Musial, I, I would be willing to say probably somebody in this room has met Stan Musial before he passed away. All right, I see some hands there. And so again, maybe we've actually got to meet Stan Musial, but probably we still don't really know him because we haven't got to hang out with him. But again, we know somebody uh, from what we read and what we hear about them. These other two guys here in the middle, Brett and Brad, and some people still get these two guys confused. All right. And so it's kind of funny, uh, Brett typically has the beard, Brad does not have the beard, Brad has the dog, Brett has a cat, I think. So anyway, there are a few differences, all right? But anyway, I just want to say, it is such a privilege to be able to serve with these two guys, two of the most outstanding young pastors anywhere. And so anyway, we do get a chance to get to know them, because we get to hang out with them, we get to interact with them. And so again, a big difference in knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. A lot of people know about God because of what they've been taught about God as they grew up. And if you tell me what church you grew up in, I can probably tell you kind of your concept of God. But again, I'm just saying, and I don't know that it was taught to me, but somehow I believe growing up that God was more like a military general or a boss, that he really liked a lot of production. He was always angry most of the time, and so I just felt like I always had to go, 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 do, 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 do. But again, depending on how you, uh, what you know about God, it can affect 
your relationship. But the Bible wants us to know him on an intimate basis. That's really, really important. So I said, John, we're going to start in Matthew here where we're going to springboard off of this passage that we started in last week as well. Maybe the saddest verse in the Bible. If someone were to ask me, what is the saddest verse in the Bible? This would probably have to be up there somewhere near the top. All right. So let's read together from Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I can't think of anything sadder than to think that you served your whole life for a God that you never, ever knew. I want to say it's so important. That's why the Bible gives so much emphasis on knowing God and not just knowing about God. And we looked at that last week in the Old Testament where they were, religious activity was at an all-time high, but their relationship with God was at an all-time low. All right? And so can we know with confidence, can we know that we know Jesus? Does the Bible give us ways that we can tell whether or not we've been born again, whether or not we're going to die and go to heaven? And again, many people have said to me over the years, I guess we're just going to have to wait till we die to see which way we go. I don't think anybody would want to play Russian roulette with your eternity. Why in the world would you not want to nail down and know for sure that you know Jesus. And I believe the Bible gives us some indications on how we can know with confidence that we are born again. All right? And so the first three we mentioned last week, first of all, is kind of the captain obvious. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. I think John, maybe more than any other gospel writer, any other writer, really emphasizes who God is and who his children are. And he wants us, again, not just to know about God, but to know him on a personal basis. So he says in 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son, by accepting him as Lord and Savior, has the life that is eternal. This past Friday, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for someone who wasn't really connected to a church or hadn't been connected for a while. She actually was a church organist. She was an organ player for a church for 40 years. But I had the privilege of meeting her children, and her son and daughter-in-law are missionaries. Her daughter-in-law is actually from the Philippines, and so I had a chance to hang out, share a little bit about the Philippines. We've been connected with the Philippines for a while. But her daughter, her daughter-in-law was telling me that in 2007, she was 90 years old when she passed away last Sunday, but 2007, her daughter-in-law said, I had the opportunity to sit down and to lead her to faith in Christ. And even though she was an organist for 40 years, she had never personally committed her life to Jesus Christ. So it is possible to serve a God that you really did not get a chance to get to know. So it really is important to know him. And so number two, the second thing, obviously if we have Jesus, we have eternal life. The second way that God gives us that we can have an assurance is scripture. He goes on to say in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life. So John says, 
These things have I written so that you can know that you have eternal life. So we know if we have Jesus, we have eternal life. God has given us his promises. And again, we can rely on his promises. We can know that we know that we know Jesus because of the promises in this book. The third way that we talked about last week was loving other Christians. When somebody gets born again, they begin to take on God's nature. Because God is love, as he says in 1 John 4, 8, he also says that his children also love like God. He says here in 1 John 3, 14, we know we've passed from death unto life, or we know we've been born again or saved, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So one of the ways you know that you're saved is when all of a sudden you start loving the children of God. Because we're not always lovable. It's not natural to love everybody. But you know, when you love God, you automatically love his children. A couple verses we didn't look at last week, also in 1 John He says in chapter 4, verse 7, Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone, everyone, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So kind of a universal law, if you do know God, you will love his children. I mean, it's just kind of a universal law. It's impossible to love God without loving his children. And he goes on to say here in 1 John 4, If someone says, I love God, but hate his brother, he's a liar. Now, I would never be that bold. I mean, I would have a hard time saying that, but John was pretty bold. I mean, he doesn't want you to to maybe get mixed up on that. He says, if you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And so the third way we know that we're born again is when we love his children. A fourth way we want to look at, and that's if we are a doer of the word. You know, before we're saved, a lot of times we're into performance mode. And the Pharisees excelled in trying to perform for God's favor. But I want to say to you that when you're saved, you're no longer performing for God's acceptance and God's love, but you actually find yourself obeying the scripture because you want to. And I love how in Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my way. When you get born again and you have his spirit living inside of you, one of the natural things is you begin to obey scripture, not because you have to, but it's the most natural thing for you to do. And so he says here in 1 John 2, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So again, one of the ways you can know that you know Jesus, you find yourself being obedient to scripture, all right? He goes on to say in chapter five, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So all these things are kind of interwoven together. In Matthew chapter seven, the verse that precedes the two that we read earlier, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. So again, the Christian life is a life of doing. It's a life of obedience, but not because you have to. It's not because you're earning God's favor. It's because you are saved and his spirit lives in you. You naturally want to follow his word. The latter part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the wise man 
and the foolish man. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came up, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But he goes on to talk about the foolish builder. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came up, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not, or it did fall because again, it was not founded on the rock. So the only difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, they both heard the word of God, but it was the wise man who was a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. And even James says in James 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So that's one of the ways we know that we're born again. A fifth way that we can know that we know Jesus is his Holy Spirit. I love how Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, when his Spirit comes to live inside of us, something should change. You know, before uh, Brenda and I got married, obviously I was a bachelor until I was 27 years old. I was the ultimate boring bachelor. I had nothing on my walls. I had no furniture. I had four kitchen tables, uh, four uh, chairs, kitchen chairs, one table. And if you came over to my house when I was a bachelor, we would get a kitchen uh, chair and bring it into the living room or we would sit on the floor. I mean, I, I was really pretty boring. But when I got married and when, I, when Brenda came to live in my house, how many of you know my house was in for an awakening? All right. All of a sudden, it went from nothing on the walls to all kinds of frilly stuff on the walls. But again, when you're colorblind, everything looks nice. You know, when I was, uh, when I was single, when I went to Pastor Gerald, I, I lived in what I called the penthouse. It was a three-room, it was three storage rooms. They turned into a, an apartment. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't much, but it was the penthouse of Gerald. But here's what I found. When I went to Gerald, I really didn't have anything. And the people were so gracious. Whenever they had a yard sale, anything they didn't sell on the yard sale, they gave to the preacher. I mean, they were super gracious. I mean, I had all kinds of furniture that nobody wanted. But you know, when you're, when you're colorblind, it all looks good. I mean I, I mean, I didn't mind the mix and the match, and it was really a hodgepodge about everything you can imagine. But when Brenda moved in, everything had to match. All the, all the whatever I had had to, had to go. My, life, my, my house took on a new look. And I, I'm so thankful, by the way. I'm very, very thankful. But I just want to tell you, when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of a person, there's going to be a change. Something's going to happen, and the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. I hope no one ever goes through life hoping they're going to make it to heaven. I hope that you know that you know that you know that you know Jesus. So that again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, one of my favorite chapters on the Holy Spirit, Paul says that God wants us to know him in such an intimate way that he's taken his spirit that knows everything about him and he's allowed his spirit to come and live inside of us. And again, the illustration that he uses there in chapter 2, he says, no man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him. And so I, if I use Leon back here, and I love 
But would you be willing to say, Leon, that I don't know everything about you? You didn't even hesitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know everything Sherry knows about you either. But what, what, what if you could somehow take your spirit out of you that knows every deep, dark thing you've ever thought or done, knows every skeleton in your closet? Would you let your spirit come and live in me for one day so that I could really know you? No, you didn't even pray about it. No, you didn't have that. And I wouldn't let you have my spirit either. I don't want you to know me that bad. But think about this. Think how crazy this is. That God wants us to know him on such an intimate basis. That he's allowing his spirit that Paul says knows even the deep things about God. He's allowing his spirit to come and live inside of us so that we can know God intimately. That's crazy. That is so crazy that Almighty God would so much want us to know Him that He allows His Spirit to come and live inside of us so that we can know Him on an intimate basis. That is crazy. Man, to know God. That's why I think Paul said, man, everything in his life he counted as rubbish compared to knowing God. I want to tell you, the more you get to know about God, the more there is to know about God, and you just continually to get blown away that he would love us so much that he would want us to know him on an intimate basis. He says here in chapter 2, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. I want to just be bold enough to say you can learn about Jesus, but you will never know Jesus without getting to know the Holy Spirit. And I also want to say it's impossible to get to know the Holy Spirit without getting to know Jesus because that's who he wants to talk about. So it's so important, again, to take time to get to know the Holy Spirit of God. A sixth way that we can know that we know that we know Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Bible says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says one of the ways you know you're saved is when life squeezes you, what comes out is the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you know you cannot fake the fruit of the Spirit? Now, I can be driving down the road, and this has actually happened within the last couple of weeks, driving down the road, listening to a worship song. I mean, I am praising Jesus. I am on a cloud nine. I am just worshiping God. And somebody cuts me off. I go from in the spirit to in the flesh, boom, that quick. It's crazy. Now, I know you guys never deal with that. Never deal with it. But what's worse is if Brenda's in the car. If Brenda's in the car and I say something or I speed up to get by, she goes, you know that's not right. That's not God. That's not God. Don't you, don't you hate that when somebody's riding in the car and you, and you want to get in the flesh just for a moment? It's not the unpardonable sin to cut them back off. It's not. This is true. What, in the last couple of weeks, one time I got in the flesh. I, I don't know what traffic is. Traffic will bring it out of you if, if you have a tendency. Traffic will do it. It does to me. Anyway, I'm driving along. Nobody was in the car. Somebody cut me off. Man, I, and, and even though Brenda wasn't in the car, God said, I'm here. <laughs> That's one time I didn't want to hear from God. But somebody says, man, I, 
I mean, no matter how long we go, we're a work in progress. But one of the ways we know that we know that we know Jesus is that the more we walk with God, the more life squeezes us, out comes the Spirit. Because here's what, again, I want to tell you. When life squeezes you, you don't have time to pray about it. When life squeezes you, 100% of the time, what's on the inside comes out. Always. And so that's why, again, probably one of the ways we know that we know that we know Jesus is when the fruit of the Spirit comes out when life squeezes us. And I, I just want to tell you, I haven't arrived yet. But my goal, my, the process is you want more and more of the Spirit coming out and less and less of the flesh. And so Jesus in Matthew 7 said to them, you'll know the false teachers or the false prophets from the true he said they're going to come in sheep's clothing, but they're literally going to be wolves. How many of you can pick out the wolf in the picture, all right? You guys are good, man. You guys are really good. I wish it was that easy to pick out the wolf, but Jesus said there's going to be many come with a Bible. There's going to be people come, and they're going to talk the talk. But he said you will know them by their fruit. He never said you'll know them by their gifts, but you will know them by their fruit. Because you cannot fake the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have God in your life, it's impossible to have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life. And so in Psalms 46, and this is probably one of my uh, life verses, and we quote verse 10 quite often, be still and know that I am God. As a matter of fact, right on outside the prayer room, if you go as you're going out today on the right, this verse is on that wall, be still and know that I'm God. In our bedroom, Painted uh, uh, over our bed is this verse, be still and know that I am God. It's on a lot of t-shirts, coffee cups. It's on a lot of phone covers. Be still and know that I am God. And so in the craziness of life, God wants us to slow down and just acknowledge God in our life. And so I just want to kind of look at verse 10 here. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes in the battles of life, my tendency, I'm just telling you, my tendency is to try to fix everything. My tendency is to try to fix everything for my family, my kids. Uh, my, my tendency is to always fix everything. But there are times we can't fix everything that we got to step back and just acknowledge it's up to God. You know, early in my ministry, I remember somebody came and they were sharing with me. And my tendency is, as people are talking to me, I've already got the answer. And I remember this one guy was talking to me. And before she could even finish, I gave her the solution. And she looked up at me and said, Roger, you got a problem listening. Ouch. I'm probably the only husband that has that problem. But sometimes, I mean, I'm geared. I want to fix everything for my family. I want to fix everything when somebody's hurting. Sometimes the hardest thing in the middle of something is to step back and be still and acknowledge God. Because my tendency is to want to make everything right. Now some say, and I don't know if this is true or not, but some say Psalms 46 was written with Hezekiah in mind. And Hezekiah, if you remember, back in 2 Kings 18 and 19, he was surrounded by the Assyrian army. I mean, he literally was in big-time trouble. And he goes to God, and he knows there's no way he can defeat this enemy. 
He knows that he's in big time trouble. He understands and learns that he has to step back and be still and acknowledge God. And God says to Hezekiah, I got this. And even though it seemed impossible, it seemed like there was no way he could ever be victorious. I love in 2 Kings 19, I think it's verse 35, God sent one angel, one angel, and in one night killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. I love how the King James says it, by the way. The King James Bible, I think, says after the angel came and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army, the King James says they woke up the next day and realized they were all dead. That's funny. But what it's saying is those who weren't killed, can you imagine waking up and there's 185,000 that one angel killed? That's one angel. And if God could take care of Hezekiah surrounded by the Assyrian army, I just want to tell you whatever you're going through, God has it. God's wanting us to step back, to be still, and to know that he is God. Man, I struggle with that. I still want to fix everything. The Strong's Concordance that be still is also translated feeble six times, cease one time, Idle three times, weaken four times, stay three times. And I love how one of the thoughts there in the Strong's Concordance, it has the idea of being slothful. Now, 99% of the times, if somebody calls you a sloth, they are not complimenting you. I, I don't know a lot. I read a little bit about the sloths, but they are so slow, you can't even hardly see them move. They're the ultimate couch potato. And most of the time, you don't want to be a sloth but what it's saying is, in this case, to be still, stop striving in your own work. Stop trying to get it all figured out. Learn to sit back and just acknowledge God and say to God, God, you and you alone have the answer. I want to tell you, that's so hard for me to get to that place. I mean, even 64 years old, every day I wake up, it's unbelievable all the different things I hear and what's going on in people's lives. But can I tell you, I know without a shadow of a doubt, God has every situation. And God wants us to step back and just acknowledge that he is God. Warren Wiersbe said this, that, that term be still literally means take your hands off, relax. I have a hard time relaxing. I have a hard time taking my hands off. But he's wanting us to trust him. He's wanting us to trust that he has it, that, that we know and we love him and that he cares about every detail of our life. So going back to Psalms 46, I just want to get, there's only 11 verses. It's a pretty short chapter, but it starts off with God is our refuge and strength, a very uh, present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. First of all, it starts off, the reason we don't have to fear is because God is with us. Can I tell you, there's nothing you're going to go through that God doesn't know about. Now, I don't know if it was in this service or another service a couple weeks ago, but there was a guy who kind of comes through here now and then, and, and so I was going to help take him. I was going to give him a ride. I was really busy that day. God said, I want you to take him I want you to give him a ride. And so I said, I'll be right out. He was outside. And so I come, I come out to get ready to go out to see him. And he's outside in the front of our church. And he's looking up at the flagpole. And he's talking to the flagpole. How many of you think that's a little weird? And so I just, I was probably, I just stood there and watched him for a while inside the church. 
I was just watching him talk to the, and by the way, I found out it was a mockingbird up on the flagpole. And so this mockingbird, you can hear it chirp, 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 chirp. Even today out front, it was chirp, 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 chirp. And so he's up there looking at this mockingbird. The mockingbird flies up, comes back on the flagpole. Will fly around, land back on the flagpole. And so he's talking to this mockingbird. And so after a little while, I walked out there. I said, okay. And he goes, I go, what's going on? He goes, you will, he said, you will never believe this. He goes, I was, I was having a conversation with that bird. I said, really? I said, what did the bird tell you? Now, this guy has lots and lots and lots of problems. I mean, unbelievable problems. Lost a granddaughter. I mean, this guy has had so much go wrong. And he's talking to this bird. I said, well, what did the bird tell you? And here's what he told me. If I can remember, he said to me, the bird, God just seemed to speak to me through the bird. And again, I said, what did God say to you through the bird? He said, that bird just seemed to tell me, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And man, I sat there at his feet thinking to myself, I wish I could have said that to him. But God used a bird just to remind him, everything's okay. And I want to tell you today to be still, to relax to know that God knows everything you're going through and he wants us to step back and just acknowledge that he and he alone is the answer. Goes on in verse four to say, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now again, if this is connected with Hezekiah, if you remember when the Assyrian army had surrounded them, one of the things you know in order to survive being besieged by the enemy, gotta have water. Matter of fact, when we were over in Israel, and we've been over there several times, I asked one of the tour guides, why does, why does one civilization build on top of another civilization on top of another civilization? Why don't they find their own place to camp and their own place to build a city? He said one word, water. You got to live where the water is. Now, back in Hezekiah's day, they didn't have a source of water inside of the city. So they went to the Gion Springs over here, he literally tunneled through solid rock. He tunneled through solid rock to bring water from the Gion Springs inside of the city, which is the Pool of Siloam. That's where it comes out. And so he knew that if they're going to survive being besieged by the enemy, had to have a source of water. And by the way, I think God knew that when he allowed the Spirit to come and live inside of us. And he said in John 7 that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Can I tell you in the midst of all the craziness going on around you, there is a source of life inside of you and that's the Holy Spirit who wants to bring life every day no matter what we're facing. God will never leave you alone but will always provide a source of life. So vitally important. And so today, if you go to Israel, you can actually go down into Hezekiah's tunnel. How crazy is it that they chiseled through solid rock to get that water? Because again, water was such an incredible source. And this is the pool of Siloam. And this is where in John 9, you remember the guy born blind, Jesus said, go wash. And it was in this pool right here. But the source of water was so incredibly important. Verse 7 of chapter 46, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He repeats this in verse 11, by the way, the last verse. But he's saying again, no matter what we're going through, 
God has this. God is with us, and God provides a source of life. And then the verse we love to quote so much, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, when it's all said and done, I just want to remind us all, there's only one who will ultimately be exalted, and that's God. No matter how it looks around us, I'm going to tell you, we're living in a crazy world, but I want to give you some good news that in the end, when all the dust settles, he will be exalted. He's the only one who will be exalted. And so again, we need to learn to step back and acknowledge that he is God. We need to take our hands off and just confess that God and God alone is the answer. And so he ends the chapter again, same with verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Back in the 1500s, Martin Luther wrote a hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now he says it in a different way than I would say it. He uses different, different language back then. But it's amazing, many people say that Martin Luther was inspired to write this song from Psalms 46. Because to discover that God is our refuge and our fortress. Because as I look around today, I know after both the, the earlier two services, people came up and they just said they were just up against so much in life and that they needed to learn to trust God. No matter how long we go, no matter how far the journey takes us, there's never going to be a day that you get up and just able to do it in your own strength. And if we can learn the truth to be still, to take our hands off the situation and just acknowledge God, and just to trust God in our situation, what an incredible gift that really is. So I want to ask us to stand together if we can. And we're going to use this hymn as kind of an invitation. Again, it's, it's a very old hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. And as we sing, I just want you to worship God wherever you are, no matter what your situation is. I pray that you can find God as a refuge and a strength. I pray that you would discover that river of living water on the inside of you that God will never leave you or forsake you. If you feel comfortable to raise a hand or raise a couple hands or open your palms, I just want us to surrender to God everything we are and know that God has the situation. So let's sing together this old, old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. If you need to slip out and come for prayer, we'll have somebody pray with you. If there's something going on in your life, we would love to pray with you, pray for you. Maybe for the first time in your life, today's the day that you would open up your heart and receive Christ. So as we sing, let's just sing it kind of softly to the Lord, and let's confess that He is our fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. A
guys on the way out today I want you to find three people and just look at them in the eye and say relax 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 and so if you want to send me a text this week just send one word relax God really does have it be still and know that he is God let me pray for you Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters. And God, sometimes life becomes so overwhelming, and sometimes we feel like Hezekiah is surrounded by the enemy. But may we have the wisdom of Hezekiah to step back and just to say, God, this is bigger than I am. My eyes are upon you. Father, we thank you for loving us, caring about every detail of our life. 
And I just pray that that river of living water would just spill out everywhere we go this week, that we can minister life. Fill us, empower us just to be witnesses for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.